it was a lot of naivety. I had no idea what being a belly dancer in Egypt would entail, exactly the same as I had no idea the consequence. When, I, when my father confronted me, I had no idea about the consequences of um, becoming a belly dancer. I, I did not know, and I don't think anybody could ever really know again until they do it. When you become an Egyptian woman as a belly dancer, it's very different to if you become a foreign belly dancer. Hello everyone, you're listening to the Belladance Live podcast. I'm your host Jana Komarnitska and I'm thrilled to share a new portion of dance inspiration with you. If you are a new listener, welcome to the show. Don't forget to subscribe and receive automatic updates about our new episodes. And if you are our regular listener, welcome back. Please leave your reviews on whichever app you're listening. They really help me promote the show and spread awareness about Belladance art form. Plus, I really like like hearing back from you. On this note, let's get to our today's episode. Jelena and Belladance Evolution are back, taking their show and programs across the globe. You know how many guests we had previously on this podcast sharing how much their experience with BDE pushed their dance career. You can have it too. Audition for Jelena's latest production and join Jungle Book cast. All details at www.joinbde.com. Direct link in the show notes, joinbde.com. Get ready for some very deep conversation that will blow your mind and probably will bring you even deeper and different understanding of many things that are happening in Egypt uh, in both professional balladance career and in sense of culture, music, entertainment scene, because today on our podcast we have amazing Zara. Zara is an Egyptian dancer based in Cairo. She has worked professionally as a dancer for over 17 years and last six were specifically in Egypt. She has starred in various uh, music videos and Bollywood films. Most recently in Egypt, she was featured in a film together with famous Shabi singer Shaban Abdelrahim and in a Ramadan special TV drama featuring Dina and Haifa Vab. Her dancing has taken her around the world because Zara has performed not only in the UK and Egypt, there she's originally from both of those countries, but also vast number of East African countries, including Kenya and Tanzania, and some other countries uh, like even Pakistan and Malta. In our conversation, we touched quite a big range of topic. Um, We talked about Zara's personal story as a ballet dancer and as a person who has two homes, one in UK and one in Egypt, and how being so multicultural from the very, very beginning, from her birther, having parents from different cultures, how did it affect her, her growing up and her establishing as a woman, and later becoming a ballet dancer, and how her story turned out. And of course, we talked a lot about her career, specifically in Egypt, when she came to Cairo, because she performed in all sorts of different venues, and she was talking specifically a lot about different types of cabaret, something that is not 
obvious for dancers who come to visit Cairo to go and check out because there are different actual types, not just one style cabaret, but uh, there are the whole range of venues and entertainment available here, as well as many other restaurants, clubs, hotel shows. And all that we discussed uh, with Zara because she had experience in pretty much any style of venues and any kind of belly dance uh, gigs uh, that are happening here in Cairo. We also talked about uh, personality, both uh, personal <laughs> off stage as well as dance personality and talked about uh, personal insecurities and uh, sometimes lack of confidence and sometimes uh, uh, just good an amount of confidence that is necessary to for a belly dance performer to have on stage or for any artist who has who does performing arts and presentations for the audience. We also talked about uh, Zara's one of the uh, favorite Zara's uh, dance genres and music genres, Mahraganat, and that was very interesting and insightful conversation because it was from a very different angle of how to see Mahraganat, what exactly it is, why origin why it originated, why it bloomed, and uh, why it also got such a bad reputation, and how to see it from artistic point of view. Um, what is the meaning of this dance genre, not only for dancers, but in general for the culture and for the country. And we also talked about Zara's different activities, about her upcoming uh, shows, events, workshops, but also about her online magazine and Ballad and Store. Both resources are super helpful and super interesting for dancers. So afterwards, don't forget to check links in the show notes. They're all available uh, there on her social media, on her website. But I hope you will... Uh, I don't hope, I actually know that you will take a lot from this um, conversation and it will make you think about many different things and see things in different lights and appreciate things from different perspectives. So I hope this episode will contribute to your understanding of dance and culture and society and will uh, make you feel uh, more connected, more grateful for what you have and also more inspired to overcome whatever struggles you may be facing because we have all different journeys but we all have sometimes tough periods in life or seasons so just know that you're not alone, keep going Keep cherish, cherishing your love to for this dance art, and uh, hopefully as a community we can support and elevate each other. On this note, let's dive in the conversation. This episode was brought to you by the Yana Dance Club, a meeting place for committed dance enthusiasts of all levels. Most of our members shared that the club helped them to improve consistency in their training, meet new dance friends, and discover various topics through hundreds of different tutorials. This is definitely a belly dance training that becomes a lifestyle. Learn more at yanadanceclub.com, link in the show notes, or simply visit yanadanceclub.com and try for 7 days for free. Hello, Zara. Let's pretend we only now start our conversation. I'm so happy to see you in person and finally do this interview here in Cairo. Welcome to the Belly Dance Life podcast. Thank you. I feel so honored. 
Honestly, I feel honored, really. <laughs> Not that I forced you to do it when I met you. I was like, you have a podcast. You have to put me on your podcast. <laughs> no, that was a good pitch and I went for it. <laughs> But it was lovely. I'm really happy that we're actually here doing it. So thank you for inviting me. Well, I was very happy to meet you and to see your show as well as after the festival season, had a chance to take your workshop, yeah. uh, which... On a topic that I feel is uh, one of your favorite topics to teach, and I'm sure we'll talk about it. But before we start talking about all that, I would like to ask uh, about the very beginning of your dance story. So dance obviously probably was part of your life from the very beginning. You're Egyptian. Yes. But um, you also had an interesting story because you grew up between two countries. So... Can you share a little bit about that and how dance uh, was fitting into that multicultural background? <laughs> yeah. So my mom's English, my father's Egyptian. I was born in England, but I spent a lot of my childhood going back and forth from both countries, long holidays. And also when I was six, my mom and dad, they sent me to Egypt by myself, by myself. Uh, they stayed in England. I got put on a plane. I got sent to Egypt by myself. I had been before lots of times, but I got sent by myself to live with my auntie and uncle. I lived for one year when I was six years old with my auntie and uncle. Then I went back and then I came back again to live a year when I was nine with my mom. And in all that time, during all that time, when I was a child, I was what you call like back in the day, you'd call like a tomboy or a tom girl. I did not like anything feminine. I was like, no, I because all my cousins were boys. I, I have brothers and sisters, but they're a lot, lot older than me. They're from my mum's first marriage. So these are like my brothers, like my cousins are like my brothers. And. They were mostly boys at that point. Now I have a lot of girl cousins, but at that point they were all boys. And I was like, no, I can do anything they can do. And I used to play on the streets with them and be very, you know, chase cars, jump on cars, play with street animals in Cairo, like, and do anything. They go fishing, I go fishing, they jump in the Nile, I jump in the Nile. Nothing to do with dance at all. <laughs> Nothing to do with belly dance. And then from the age of 10, nine, when I came to live in Egypt at nine, 10 years old with my mother. Um, my mum and dad got divorced, so we went back to England, and it was five years I did not come to Cairo or Egypt because my mum and dad's divorce was very messy. Five-year divorce, this is a very long divorce of arguing in the courts. But I came back at 15. By that time, my girl cousins that were very small when I was younger, they were, you know, when you're 15, everybody's kind of like the same age, so they had got older. And I remember dancing with some of my, I remember coming back to Cairo at 15. I had been away for five years. I'm already the foreign mixed race cousin. You know, it's already like, you know, a little bit strange cousin anyway. And my Arabic had gone down a lot because it's five years without talking Arabic. And I was already this, uh, already the foreign cousin anyway. And then all the girls were dancing. And I couldn't dance. I couldn't belly dance. And they got they. And I remember going home to my mom in England, and I said to my mom, "Oh my God, I can't belly dance. They're all like sitting there and pointing at me like I can't dance, like I'm not. You know, it's already bad being the foreign white cousin. It's even worse, you know. Like, oh look, she can't dance. And it's just like I remember coming home and crying to my English mother." <laughs> 
it was really it was it, i remember and my mom the next coincidentally like from the e we say from the hands of god like min ida rabbina like one week or two weeks later coincidentally we did not even know there's the world of belly dance outside of egypt i did not know belly dance existed outside of egypt yeah. you know there's now i know but before then it was like you know if you don't know then you don't know imagine a normal person they don't know there's a belly dance community my mum coincidentally she went to an art fair nothing to do with dance belly dance just an art fair and she found a vcr If you're a young person, you don't know what that is. It's like a, a really old tape, a VCR of how to do belly dance, not by an Egyptian dancer, by some Scottish belly dancer, uh, Hilary Thacker. And she brought it home and I put this VCR in a tape player and I watched it. And it was like, even though I could not belly dance, I grew up in Egypt so much all my childhood, back and forth, back and forth, living there, living in England. Even though I had not, done belly dance I think I'd subconsciously taken it all in because it's going on around you you know my family are big dancers they're big artists they love belly dance they love it on the tv you know my my cousins are part of Zaffa band Uh, when I was younger they all drummers all my cousins are drummers so even though I didn't belly dance as a child and I was more interested in I don't know breaking things and beating people up I don't know, it was like a door was open and it all just flushed back. It was like, like somehow I'd subconsciously done it and I took this video and this video, I'm not joking, changed my life. Mm. It was, that's it. I wasn't, I wasn't just trying to learn how to belly dance. It was like I found my whole identity and it went from being, you know, I told you I was like, didn't do anything feminine when I was younger. I was always trying to be a boy. My, my father wanted a son. He did not want a daughter. Mm. Uh, this was hard for me to process as a child and um, which was probably some of the element and this changed my life it made me embrace myself embrace my culture more like I already embraced my Egyptian culture but in a different way but as an Egyptian woman not just an Egyptian as an Egyptian woman my culture my heritage my femininity my identity it you know became Um, overnight it became a massive part of my life within about a year and a half of watching a video I found classes started dancing in restaurants at 17 and when I come to Egypt now like it was a way of me to try and make a closer connection with my family not not to become a professional dancer mm. but I, it became an addiction and it became my you know it was something like I found myself mm. Anyway, I like to say now I come back and I'm better than my cousins, but I'm not. They're amazing. My cousins are just, my cousins, like in, in my family, you know, I'm an average dancer, you know, that's how good my family are at belly dancing. They're amazing. All the girls, all my sec, I have like around 50 cousins and around 250 second cousins. And some of my second cousins are the same age as me, so, or older, even my second, like when I say second cousins, my cousin's children, so it's actually cousins once displaced. I have over 250 of those, so I have a big family in Egypt, yes. Oh, wow, I, I imagine know, your family gatherings. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know about 30 of my cousins very, like I'd say 20 to 30 of my cousins very close. I mean, I don't know them all. Some of them, like the 50 of them, I can't remember their names. They're so old. Some of them are so, you know, but, and I know about 
50 of my my second cousins displaced very very well like all of them so they're amazing dancers the kids the young girls in my family amazing yeah. wow wow what a story like i didn't actually like expected and realized it like that happened for you but it especially was important i think for you not only to um reconnect with your identity or find your identity but also especially at that age yeah when as a teenager girl you're trying to find yourself and many yes. girls even without being egyptian they get in belly dance or yeah. they get enchanted by these topics or Not to say I take classes, but get interested at least to watch because it's the age that uh, girls try to find their feminine side, yeah. how to express it. And for you, it's even more like connecting to uh, your Egyptian roots and your yes. Egyptian heritage. So you start taking ballet dance classes after that cassette, after yeah. that video. Uh, you start taking classes in UK. In the UK, I did a few, but it was... It was crazy. Like I said, I took classes. The teacher I had, very lucky. She was very Egyptian style because I didn't know, again, I didn't know what teachers to pick or anything. I was just very blessed, alhamdulillah. Like I picked a teacher who was very, because I, I just went to my local belly dance class. I found it, but I didn't know it existed. It could have been anybody. I, and I would not have known there were styles. I would not. Yeah. But luckily she was very Egyptian based and she had spent a lot of her life in Egypt. Her name was uh, Terry Hardy. She she danced like Fifi Abdul, and uh, she introduced me to Fifi Abdul, you know, and things like that. So, but even though I have to say she taught me a lot, and the cassette taught me a lot, it was like remembering. It was like I had already known how to belly mm. dance. You got to remember, I went from like nothing to dancing in restaurants professionally within a year and a half of this is just this tape coming into my life. It was like. I had been learning belly and I knew it all. It's like I knew it all or I, even though I maybe not sat down and watched belly dance when I was a child, it's always on the TV and even though I was playing and probably more interested in beating my cousin up or something like this, I was very violent. I was a horrible child. <laughs> it was subconsciously going in. So it was like a door was open and just everything that had been there was... But I tell a lot of people in my classes, you know, belly dancing is... is, is is as natural as walking for women, especially Egyptian women. So it's just about re-remembering what's already in you. It's like I tell all women, every, all these moves are very natural. They're very, they're designed for, for every woman to be able to do easily or, you know, every person, even Egyptian, you know, any person, however you identify. It's just, it's like re-remembering. I don't, I don't think it's like teaching. I think it's remembering. But for me, it was, it was all in there. It was just so natural. And when you started uh, performing shows in restaurants, uh, I assume it was first in UK. Mm -hmm. yes. um, can I ask uh, how your family reacted? Both sides. <laughs> well, my English family. Well, my mum and dad by that time were divorced, so I was living with my English family, and um, I mean, to them it was not bothered. I don't think they thought I'd take it seriously. It was more like a, like oh, you know. She's going out and making a bit of money as like a summer job or something like that, you know, like a teenage paper round or something. I don't know. I don't think they worry. My mum was very supportive. I think my mum was very supportive because, you know, I, as I, like you say, a teenager, I had lots of body issues and this and this was giving me confidence and making me feel happy. And also a way that I can connect to my Egyptian identity because, you know, I wasn't living with my Egyptian father at that point. So I think my mum was very encouraging of it. Mm. I did not tell my Egyptian family because, of course, 
you know, it's, it's naughty to be a belly dancer. And I knew that. I don't want anybody to think I didn't know that. However, I did not, you know, there's lots of things that I do that are naughty, lots of things that you get away with. There's lots of things, you know, that women shouldn't do in Egypt, but all of our cousins go and do secretly. And I just thought it would be something like that where, you know, they get a bit upset and then it will be forgotten. I thought it'd be as simple as that. I did know you shouldn't be a belly dancer Egyptian. People tell, I think people may assume that I would be naive of my culture. No, I knew that it wasn't allowed, but I would never know the extent. Mm. And I don't think you could ever know the extent until you become a dancer in an Egyptian family. You can always fear it, but you'll never know the extent until. Or maybe some girls do because they've seen another one of their family try to do something along those lines. But people may say, you're naive, you didn't know it would be that bad. It's like, no, nothing could have prepared me. Whether I grew up in Egypt full time or not. You know, there's there's like all these rules that women should do. And I've broken loads of them as a child, broken loads of these. All my cousins do little secret things. And, you know, people get angry and then, but no, there is like, this is next level. I did not know that until I became a dancer. And my cousins found out on Facebook, uh, mm. through Facebook. Social I didn't media. add them as friends, but, you know, it's the world of Facebook. I had Facebook from very early when I was at university. I had one of the first people in England to have Facebook. And then, like, within a year and a half, Facebook was everywhere. And I had all this information on Facebook. They found me. I don't even know how. And um, it was not very nice. I went back to Egypt. Have, I didn't know they had found it. And I went back to Egypt uh, one year. And my dad was having a holiday in Egypt at the same time, which is why I went at that time. And they told my, they told my uh, dad... And, um, yeah, it was not very nice. It, it ended, it was, it, he confronted me on the last day of the holiday. My holiday, he was going to stay longer. I was going home that day. He confronted me on the last day of the holiday. We got into a very, very big argument, the whole family, everything, big argument. And me and him, we got into a massive argument and it ended up, I was very confrontational and it ended up with me being very badly beaten, uh, my head was thrown through a window and I flew back the next day to England because my flight and when I landed and my mum met me, she said we have to go shopping and pick up something, we went to pick up something and I had a seizure because my head had been um, damaged, my, my, my brain had been like bleeding um, and I, had, I passed out in the shop, I had a seizure and unfortunately that was... Um, Uh, the start of many seizures uh, and I had to live until they got under control with medication uh, I had to live a few years with some seizures I had lots of accidents when I had my seizures I broke my nose I had to have I have scars on my legs because I burnt off my whole leg with a kettle uh, one time I was making tea I didn't know I fell on the floor I had a seizure I laid in the hot water for hours, I burnt my leg, I had to have surgery on my leg, my my ankle was weak because my ankle was weak, my knee popped out of its thing, I had to have surgery on my knee, it's very, very, very dark times <laughs> uh, from the result of this, so it was not nice, no, and I don't think anything could have prepared me for this, anything, if you can say, oh, you know, you you're mixed race, you're ignorant, no, nothing could have prepared me for how crazy 
everybody was or how. I just think it was ridiculous personally. Now you look back, it's just like the most ridiculous, unneeded stupidity ever. Nowadays, my family, I think, have just got, I keep it secret. We pretend that I don't do it. We all just pretend, pretend because if it's put out there, you know, they have to confront it. We just all now pretend. Uh, I went for three years not talking to my father. I think my father made the decision just to ignore it so we can talk to each other. Uh, but it's a lot easier, especially since I got married, because now I'm under control of my husband and, <laughs> you know, in inverted commas, and he can't com he's not complaining about it, so nobody can complain. If they want to complain, they have to complain to my husband. And as you can see, my husband's a very large, scary man, so nobody confronts him. <laughs> Wow, I'm really sorry to hear about uh, this story, this situation, and um, the reason why I actually ask even about it, uh, because uh, when you start mentioning, and it's kind of a known fact, and even here, the more I talk to people, it comes up this love and hate relationship with belly dance, mm -hmm. because you were earlier even mentioned how good your cousins are as dancers oh, and yeah. everyone dance and everyone belly yeah. dance and even you said that some of them you feel like they dance way better than you oh yes definitely. and at the same time there is such like hate towards belly dance. it's oh, like yeah. how i call it love and hate relationship literally yes. in the sense uh and that was the reason why i actually asked uh, so how was that for you and um i'm really sorry to hear about such a uh, dramatic development of the story but after that how did it happen that you decided to come and work as a ballet dancer in Egypt because you could have stayed just in UK and do develop your profession there and, you gotta, and like, this know? happened when I was around 18 I didn't come to Egypt to dance until I was around 27 so about 10 years later I went to university, I did my degree, I did my master's, I did my PhD, I have a, I'm a doctor of physics. Um, all the time I belly danced, all the way through all my degrees I belly danced. This is in England. I kept coming to Egypt as well, all the time. All the mm -hmm. time, back and forth, I never not come to Egypt, maybe. If I don't come for one year, it's like craziness. I come maybe two times a year, every year of my life, you know, until I finish my degrees. All the way through belly dance, all the way through my degrees, I studied. Uh, I studied belly dance, worked as a belly dancer, made my money. The only reason I could afford to go to university is because I was subsidizing my belly, my whole, my whole uh, physics career was subsidized by belly dancing. I used to dance in clubs in London, uh, clubs, bars, shisha places. London has an amazing belly dance, uh, professional belly dance scene. It's an amazing one. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm very lucky they pay quite well in London. I made good, and pre-recession, which I don't know what years the recession were in. Pre-recession, the tips were like, absolutely amazing in London I used to make lots of money lots of tips like more money than I could even think more money than I make now <laughs> and so that was all subsidized um then I got to the age of like I don't know I finished my degree or I finished my PhD and I did not want to do physics anymore at all I definitely did not want I uh, one thing I learned about the biggest thing I learned during my degrees is that I don't want to do physics anymore nor be in this whole universe of physics ever again so I was just like well what do I want to be the the true thing that I wanted to be was a dancer and a, a dancer so I took a few dance gigs I went and 
flew out. I, w- I wanted to do it full time. I'd always done it on the weekends, so Friday and Saturday. That's really only when you can do it in, in England. There's a few jobs on Thursday and Wednesday, maybe, uh, if you're a proper pro. But, you know, f- Friday and Saturday night is the only nights you can really do- get good money in England for belly dance. And uh, I decided that's it. I want to do it professionally. I took, I remember the week after I finished my Viva and I became a doctor of physics from one of the top universities in England. Um, I flew out the next week to become a belly dancer in Kenya in clubs and do belly dance, samba and like, I don't know, club dancing in mini skirts on the stage. <laughs> and I remember that my, uh, my, my, my supervisor of physics was disgusted and it was one of the most liberating things I've ever done. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm going to go be a PhD doctor of physics on the stage dancing in Kenya for Kenyans. It was absolutely amazing. Anyway, I danced in Kenya for many months. I had a contract, me and another belly dancer, traveled around the whole of Kenya, went to Tanzania, went to do parties on boats in Zanzibar, belly dancing around Kenya. I've traveled a lot for belly dance, not just there, but this was like a contract. I loved it, absolutely amazing fun, came back. I never thought I could be a belly dancer in Egypt. I never thought I was good enough. I never thought I was pretty enough. I never thought I was beautiful enough, good enough, talented enough, never believed that. There was no aim to come to Cairo. It was a dream, of course, like everybody dancer's dream, but it was never I thought it could be. I come back and I was working in London. I was just a bit bored and I thought, well, what do you want to do in your life? What upsets you? What do you want to achieve now? You're free, you know, you're not, you're free from university. You're free from this. What do you want to do? And I was like, I want to go back and live in Egypt as a, as a woman, not as a child, because I'd lived there as a child. I'd only visited through my degrees. I hadn't lived there. I want to go back. I want to live. I want my Arabic to be perfect. I get sick of people telling me I'm not Egyptian because my accent of Arabic is bad. I went back to Cairo again, like as a child, you know, trying to understand my mixed race identity. I want to live in Egypt, not just holiday in Egypt, live in Egypt as an Egyptian woman, uh, you know, what it, you know, and be there and because uh, so, you know you as a mixed race person people are always questioning whether you're Egyptian or not it's very or, and even in England they're questioning whether you're English or not it's very hard being a mixed race person you know my my English white family are very racist and they don't like Arabs and they don't like this so I didn't even belong to that family my extended not my brothers and my mum, but my extended family are all white crazy racist people um So, you know, I don't identify here, I don't identify here in Egypt, I don't identify in England. You know, seeking identification as a mixed race person is very difficult. I wanted to be an Egyptian, I want to go and see what it is as an adult woman in Egypt. So I came and moved here, never thought I'd be a belly dancer. But, you know, I can't not be a belly dancer. It just It's just who I am. I tried, to, I tried to come in Egypt and live like a good girl. It did not last five minutes. I somehow, they find me, you know, I don't even look for, I swear to God, I did not even look for work. But I, you know, I have a shop that sells belly dance costumes. So I'm always in the belly dance, like Kona Khalili area. And it just found me, I swear. I just found the manager somehow. I was recommended. He goes, do you want a job? I'm in Cairo, I was like, fine. I snuck out of, I was living with my Egyptian family. I snuck out of my Egyptian family's house wearing a headscarf. I'm going to go do, uh, I'm going to go meet up with somebody. I was taking Arabic classes as well because I really want my Arabic to be 100%. 
oh, I'm going to meet up with a friend that I do the Arabic classes with and, you know, just made up some lies, sneaked out a costume that I owned in one of my suitcases and went and did some belly dance gigs and, uh, just, you know, it just blew up from there and then within a few months I was pretending that I went back to England and actually I was living in Egypt and and uh, belly dancing in Cairo and it just went crazy from there and I never intended it to be. As I said, I never thought I would be able to be a belly dancer in Egypt. I didn't know what it was. And again, it was a lot of naivety. I had no idea what being a belly dancer in Egypt would entail. Exactly the same as I had no idea the consequence. When, I, when my father confronted me, I had no idea about the consequences of um, of becoming a belly dancer. I, I did not know and I don't think anybody could ever really know again until they do it. It's when you become an Egyptian woman as a belly dancer, it's very different to if you become a foreign belly dancer that's come through festivals and knows the scene, has contacts. I had never been to, at that point, I'd never been to any belly dance festival in Egypt. I'd never taken any belly dance classes in Egypt. I didn't know any other belly dancer in Egypt. I didn't know there was a belly dance. I didn't know how the belly dance system worked. All I knew was this one manager. That's it. I did not know anything about the scene. I did not know anything because I had just been living in, the only belly dance I'd done was outside of Egypt, working in restaurants in London and in London. I was not, I was part of the belly dance community, but not the wider world belly dance community. I know all the local belly dancers in London, but I wasn't, you know, studying and going to festivals or training with this famous person. Not like lots of other people. No, I'm just, an Egyptian woman who knows how to bay dance. I go to restaurants. I have friends in the bay dance community. I go and dance at the local hafla once a month. Mm -hmm. You know, this was my you know. So I came to Egypt, and uh, yeah, and that was another very large learning curve, shall we say, that ended up with lots of craziness. But uh, you know, yeah, that was that was also a very crazy learning journey, and it ended up with me living here and being a belly dancer for the past six years, I think, maybe more. Because Corona took a lot of time out. Mm -hmm. It was like two years break in between. When you did your first gigs in Cairo here, uh, did you feel it was kind of the same thing that you did in UK? <laughs> Or did it feel really, really different? Oh, I had to... Some of the things like dancing on boats, I think it's very similar to dancing in England. I think the restaurant work that I did in England, Greek restaurants, Turkish restaurants, Uh, Lebanese restaurants. I think it's it's like restaurant work, you know. Work dancing on boat. Apart from live band, of course. Um, I you know, I, I I adapted to live band very easily. I think because I can speak Arabic with them, it was very easy. I knew what I liked, what songs I liked. I know they liked them songs as well. So dancing to live music was, even though I had very little experience in England. It was very easy to adapt to uh, that to me, and I feel the most natural I can dance is to live music. That was no learning curve at all. Mm -hmm. You know, that was very easy. Once I learned how to do Imagine Say, because I did never used to do Imagine Say's in England, you know, like just come out to any song that was good, maybe with a veil, but I didn't understand the structure of Imagine Say. Mm -hmm. uh, I would just come out with a song that's oriental with a veil, not Imagine Say music. Apart from learning how to do Imagine Say, which I learned very fast, I was told, you know, learn Nelly, which is the standard one in Cairo. Learn Nelly, choreograph it a little bit, or at least have an outline. So maybe that was a learning curve. But the boats, I would say, is pretty much normal. Um, but I did, I had a very dodgy manager, this guy. Uh, and we danced in a lot of backstreet cabaret, mm. night arts, very 
very I don't know, people think they're dirty clubs, but I fucking love them. I love them. I like these, these like backstreet clubs that are really like sleazy and crazy and really cheap cabarets. I did loads of them. I did loads of amazing gigs as well. Five star hotels, foreigners here and there, some discos. Discos weren't as popular when I first came. You know, I did loads of, loads of different work. Learning how to dance in cabaret, uh, I, you know, I. I actually really enjoyed my time with my manager at that point because I was going from like five star to zero star to here. We would do like seven gigs in one day. Wow. And a gig in Cairo, it's not one or two songs. No, it's 45 minutes. <laughs> yes. I could do up to wow. six, six sets of 45 minutes in the night. Like he was like literally making a lot of money off of me, like as much as he could. And me, I was just naive and just thought, I want to make it, I want to get as much experience. I'm a dancer in Egypt. I want to get as much experience as possible. Like we would like finish the gig, go to the next gig, finish the gig. We would start at seven and finish at seven. You know, start at seven, do a boat, do yeah. two boats, get off the boat, have an hour's break, go do some cabarets, go do this. Now, if you ever work in night art, it's very different from cabarets. Now, most foreign belly dancers have never ever even been to a night art and they would never know what a night art is. It's like a, it's like a very, very cheap cabaret. There's usually not a full band. It's a, it's a Sebid band, which is like a stationary band that stays all night. They don't change with each act. In cabaret, the band will change with each act. This Sebit, so um, Sebit means like permanent, like all stationary band, the ones that are there all night. They will stay there all night and the dance will change every 30 minutes, not 45. Cabaret is 45 minutes. Night art is 30 minutes. And if you go to areas like Mohendasin, there's about 20 night arts within one mile of each other. And you go to each one, you dance for 30 minutes, you put your galabaya on top, you change to the next one, you take your galabaya off, you dance for 30 minutes, you come off the stage, you put your galabaya on, you go to the next night art, you pull your galabaya off, you dance on the stage. And there's about 50 to 60 belly dancers in the whole of Mohendasin that do this rotation of all these all these, and there's a few in uh, Haram Street as well, not the cabarets, the night arts, and you just go, and some of them are like, it just looks like a living room. It's just crazy, it's like a dirty bar. Some of them are a bit nicer, they look like a restaurant mix, some of this, and they are all packed. You think like, it's like a different world, you would not even know, and most people have never been to these places. So I would do a few night arts, maybe three or four of those, they're all in one area, so we could fit them in, it's like, 30 minutes on the stage, five minutes to get changed, 10 minutes to drive to the next one, five minutes to get changed, 30 minutes on the stage, so we'd do some of them. And then maybe I'd go do like two cabarets on Cairo with big full band in, on, uh, on Haram Street. Like this was like my life when I first came to Egypt. It was, it was nuts. It was completely crazy. I actually don't know how I used to dance like that or what I did. And this manager turned out to be horrible, crazy, tried to kill me. Kidnapped, like kept me, stole my passport, kept me trapped, blackmailed me. It was awful. But, oh my God, we had like a whole year before it went crazy of uh, an amazing adventure. It was nuts. I danced for the prime minister's wife for a private party. I danced for, I went to loads of five-star hotels. I danced, I danced for, I danced with Mahmoud Lissi on stage. I did music videos with all these famous people. I danced with Sha'aban, which is 
you know, Allah, Hamo, he's died now. Shaban is one of the biggest uh, shabby singers in the world. I went and did a film with Shaban. I danced on stage in a Ramadan soap opera with Dina. So he was awful person in the end, but this one year was absolutely amazing. And I learned a lot. I had to learn how to dance in cabaret. I had to learn when people, when famous, when their best guests walk in, they do like a call out to the best guest. I have to recognize this music because music changes. Uh, you have to recognize how to greet guests. You have to recognize not to overdance in the mawel. Mm-hmm. You know, when this singer is dancing singing mawel, all the customers are going like this. They make a sign with their hands to just stop fucking dancing because they want to listen to the mawel. <laughs> you know, where in West, we want to overdance the slow music. You know, you just need to stand around on stage because you're there 45 minutes or in, if, especially if it's cabaret, 45 minute sets on stage. You don't need to dance them well. You know, how to, how to get tips, how to dance in money, how to, you know, all this I learned, how to dance to. And you know, I would change band, like even now, like yesterday, I danced with three different bands at three different gigs, you know. How to dance with a different band, how to communicate with different singers, how to walk around and make the people give tips. Mm. So I learned a lot in this time. Yeah, well, it was a big learning curve. I still can't wrap my mind around like six shows in one night. Like knowing what is Egyptian show here, like it's... I don't even know how It's like I a full-time it. shift, it's, eight hours, but just you dance non-stop basically. <laughs> And you do nightlife style of life, like basically 7 p.m. starts your work and 7 a.m. It's literally yeah. when you finish, it, it's just crazy. Um, it was nuts. It was absolutely crazy. I don't know. It wasn't like that every single night, but I was. It was. It was intense. It was like until I was like dying. Then we might have a few days off, or sometimes work was really low because they always like new dancer, and then they get bored, and then they take on other dancers, and you lose all your work, and then they take you back because everybody's bored of the other dancer. So it goes up and down. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't like that solidly for a whole year. It was lots of up and down, up and down, up and down. But I could go for like two weeks of doing that every night, like solidly, not even one day off and it killing me. And like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't even know. It was crazy. But I definitely experienced everything. And as a result, I went from very naive to very, very knowing of everything. I don't think there are many. I consider myself both foreign and Egyptian dancers at the same time. I can definitely guarantee there is not a foreign bay dancer that has done everything that I have done. I've done shabby weddings, balladie weddings, five-star weddings, top weddings, night art, cabaret, disco, uh, CD, boats, restaurants, everything. I don't think there's hardly any foreign bay dancers that have that experience. You will not find many non-Egyptians in especially these backstreet cabarets, downtown backstreet cabarets, Mohendasin. The cabarets in Mohendasin are very different to the cabarets in downtown. The style is different. The way you deliver the show is different. Mohendasin is very different from downtown. And these are next door to each other. There's not many people that know these. Yeah. For, and how you dance in Haram Street is very different to how you dance in Mohendasin. Mm. People do not know this. The style in Mahendasin is very night art. There's a couple of cabarets, the famous ones, and then there's a couple. Very different from the style of how you would have a cabaret in Haram Street. The taste of the cabarets in Haram Street is very different to the taste of the, the night. So downtown has something that's like in between a cabaret and a night art. They're all very different. The customers you get 
in Harlem Street is very different to the customers you get in Mohenjo-Sin. It's very different from the customers you get in downtown. As a result, it just gives subtle changes and taste to the thing. Probably something that if you was not a dancer or understanding culture, you'd probably just say, oh, it's like the same. It's a load of mostly men sitting around watching a dance. And no, the taste is different. Mm. The people that go, it's like, you know, any area in England, in London, if you go clubbing in Chelsea, it's very different to if you go clubbing in Tottenham. Tottenham's very working class. It's this, the music. If you don't know, you'd go in and say it's loud music with kids dancing. But the style of the DJ, the style of the music, you understand when you, you must know it from your country or your area, if you go in a posh area, the taste is very slightly different. But to somebody who doesn't know the eye, you just think people dancing on a dance floor to music. No. the DJ, the touch, the drinks that are being drunk, the clothes that they wear. There are subtle differences mm-hmm. when you know clubbing or when you know this. Same in Cairo. Same for every cabaret. You mentioned earlier that uh, before you came to Egypt to work, it was a dream for you, but you thought you were not good enough, not you know, smart enough, not pretty enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you feel now about it? Oh, still very, still very, 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 uh, uh, I don't know. I've always had doubts about myself. I think I'm a very big self-sabotager. I always doubt my ability. I always doubt my beauty or how I look. I still don't think I'm the most beautiful belly dancer ever. As You know what I mean? I, I literally don't know, but how I've managed to survive six years. And I only live off my belly dance income by the way i have a belly dance shop but most of this money goes to my mom i don't subsidize with anything i teach very little i do now go and travel and teach but that is not my main income and um yeah these are my cats by the way they've come <laughs> to say hello this is fifi and sayed or my cats that my cats have just come in to say i'm shocked because you know this cat sayed he never comes to say hello to anybody Aww, so you're a very so special person yana very special he's very scared <laughs> but um no i don't know i don't know how i've become a dancer i don't know how i've become this successful i doubt myself every day uh, i'm not gonna lie i have a lot of insecurities about myself my dance my looks but you know i i try and i I think I've always just gone with the flow, number one. Uh, I've let everything, I've never forced my career. I've never, it's all come very naturally and it's all came. You know, my father still might be upset that I'm a belly dancer, but I swear to him that God has put this path in front of me. I did not force any, none of this is artificial. I haven't, you know, sucked up to somebody in a festival to get me gigs in this place, paid loads of money to have classes with a famous person, so then they get me gigs in this. Actually, very little people have helped me. After this manager, I will say there's a couple of dancers that did help me, um, and I had a period of bad work. Um, this manager made sure that I would never work in Egypt again. He spread rumors about me, blah, blah, blah. He tried, when I left, when I split from working with him, He tried to sabotage my work. My work went really badly down. And a couple of dancers, I just want to say a shout out to Sonia. She really helped me. She got me a lot of work. Um, but again, it was only like little bits that she didn't, she couldn't do. So it's just like little handouts. But uh, so, you know, but I have never otherwise had any help, any help or any of this. So 
even though I don't, I think I'm not pretty enough even now, I don't think compared to other belly dancers, I'm the best belly dancer. I'm not arrogant at all, the opposite. But money talks, I tell myself this, work talks, you've always had work, apart from these little periods of downtime, considering what the manager did to sabotage your work, Zara, like, wow, you have a lot of work. Now I work, finally my work's come back up. To think that I've got all this, it's just, it's, you know, maybe I, maybe I don't have the most confidence in myself or doubt myself, but work has never, works there and, well, if they're going to, money talks, so if they pay for me, like, I have this, you know. You know, I'm so really shocked uh, to hear it because um, we sometimes are so hard on ourselves. Yes. And um, I thought like when Gas was like, okay, after this this kind of experience for six years, like, you know, like you overcome like, like, okay, I, I have it, I got it, etc. But to hear especially from you uh, this insecure, first of all, thank you for sharing. This is already a very sign of a very secure person <laughs> to be so open about it. No, truly, like when you are a very successful artist and your success depends not only on your dance, but also on your persona and just mm. to go out and say like, you know, this is what it is. This is the reality for me, like being open and vulnerable. That's very brave. So thank you so much. And I'm pretty sure many people who are hearing it right now, they're also shocked to hear from a very successful established artist who has daily gigs uh, uh, like that in Cairo with bands uh, you have your own band I now also have, like, I also have my own band I do lots of work but I have they did they, they you got yeah. into festivals too you invited and you travel internationally like uh, now more and more like you yeah. get known and still you feel uh, that insecurity but especially what surprised me because i was about to ask it and then i was like oh wow because you talk about this lack of confidence but you don't appear like that on stage no. at all and what i was about to pivot in the topic of one of your favorite styles that definitely is not associated with lack of confidence is your love to Mahraganat, yes. and although you may not perform Mahraganat, Mahraganat on stage like fully, but you include elements, and oh, I yes. know Mahraganat is very close to you. Yes. And I thought, like, okay, it's probably from your childhood that you were saying you were more like boy-like, yeah, like like even. the fights, and it's like, oh, that's the direct connection. But it also goes into the real contrast with this like confidence, not confidence, etc. Because Mahraganat. You have to be there. <laughs> you have to hit a did part. my workshop. <laughs> well, I have to tell I one of the biggest advice that I give people, I do things like tarab workshops and I do something called belly dancing power workshops. And even in like my imagine say workshop, one of the things that I teach people is you have to leave your insecurities off the stage. I have many insecurities, many, body, all the time. This is not perfect. Think about all the belly dancers that are very famous in Egypt. The level is very, very high, like the, the level of plastic surgery, the level of perfection, blah, blah, blah. 
you know, I am very insecure about every little last hair on my body or every little last bit of skin that's this. But, you know, this is the body I have. Alhamdulillah, thank you to God. And I've decided to embrace it. But any insecurities that I have, I try my best. I don't always succeed. But the moment I step on stage, I leave all insecurities. Insecurities about my how good I am as a belly dancer, how I look, how I my technique level, my this. You have to leave it off the stage because if you don't leave it off the stage, you can never truly be in the moment. If what you're thinking about is, oh my God, my costume might not fit properly here. Oh my God, are they looking at my scar on my leg? Oh my God, can they see my cellulite? The more you think about like that or, oh my God, they probably think I'm boring. I haven't done enough moves yet. Or, oh my God, I, I need to do something impressive to do that. When you're thinking like that in your mind, you're not in the moment. To be present in the moment, you need to leave all that shit off the stage. I try and teach that. It doesn't mean I always practice it. I do get it a lot more now and I do go onto stage and I'm in the moment and, you know, but that's taken a lot of self-work. You know, people talk to me about how can you, how are you so good with your audience, Zara? It's a lot of self-work. It's not about, oh, you know, you go on stage and you find somebody who likes belly dance and you pick them out. No, it's about being confident and comfortable enough for yourself. When you're confident and comfortable with yourself, people find you an ease to watch. When people find you an ease to watch, you can take them in. You know, when you pick that, you know, you can take them in and then you all, when you go on a journey, tarab, you know, mm-hmm. something like this. But yeah, and as for Mahragna, yes, I love Mahragna. My family, not just amazing dancers uh, in Oriental, belly dance, they are also working class shabby people. And what do shabby people love in Egypt? Mahragna. So I learned Mahragna from my cousins. I swear they're only like two, one meter tall. They're all like 10, 12 years old. These are the kids that taught me Mahragna. And I learned Mahraganat dancing from all these little kids, my second cousins all in my house. When I was living in Egypt, pretending, like secretly sneaking out to be a belly dancer. I was also dancing every night, living with them, learning Mahraganat moves because it's all fashionable. You know, that's when it was all blowing up, learning all these crazy moves where they cover their hands over their eyes, cover this. You know, these, these are, I've been taught by 10 year olds. Um, you know by the source <laughs> yeah by the source they're, they're, they're so amazing and they're like these crazy little dancers and these are where I learned all these moves and then I realized that the bay dance community a lot of people when Mahraganat music was coming out it was literally around the same time where mobile devices were starting to be allowed in clubs before that point mobile phones didn't have cameras and if they did in England in Egypt they were banned from most events and then they started Egyptians started to be because of the rise of social media, everybody wants to start, instead of being secret, to show off their lives. And there was this change of culture in Egypt. Only when I first started dancing in Egypt, it wasn't like that. It was still, I used to dance in loads of discos when I was with this manager. I danced in more discos than you can even imagine. But I have no videos of any of this because you weren't allowed to have a video camera in a disco. Nowadays, if you go on Facebook, there's all these disco videos. Dancers dance in discos make a video every two, three a night, you know. Live streams. <laughs> yeah, live streams. I do, exactly. I, this was not possible when I was, uh, when I first came to Egypt and I was dancing in, now I can't be bothered to dance in this kind of areas, but all this was not recorded. And then it had this change. And Mahara Gnat coincidentally was at the same time. And I think 
Mahna Ganat got a really, 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 really bad reputation because at the same time where the Western world started to actually see what belly dance is really like in Egypt, Mahra Ganat was one of the most popular music things. And I think they associate Mahra Ganat with Oh, that costume's too this, slut shaming. Oh, this costume's too that. Oh, belly dance is not the oriental fantasy that we believe it to be. Actually, it's a load of, you know, there's a lot of like in these dirty cabarets, in these ballady weddings, in these uh, discos, there's a lot more. It wasn't what they thought belly dance was. Belly dance has always been that. Even if you go back far and further enough into golden area, there were loads of dirty nightclubs and dancers doing, you know, dancing provocatively in this but it just not what becomes to the films but there was never cameras in clubs at that point there was never cameras at ballady weddings in this of course there are trends and things of distance styles of costumes have changed but people's ignorance as to what belly dance is in Egypt they think it's some oriental fantasy mm. was it was totally crushed by mobile phones becoming okay in belly dance and at the same time Mahraganat was there and I'm not going to lie Mahraganat goes in line with uh, these disco clubs and I think but I think it was a big shock to a lot of belly dancers and as a result Mahraganat got a really bad reputation in uh, the belly dance world and was really criticized with classism and with uh, and associated with a lot of slut shaming that was going on at the time of dancers because people's oriental fantasies were being broken but is it just because of that because uh like let's say honestly like maharaganan has some dark roots <laughs> yeah but so does belly dance they all you know belly dance has... no, but if you're talking about maharaganat music there's at least the wave of songs about drugs oh yeah oh yeah it's all about stuff, drugs so yeah yeah it's about drugs doing naughty things but you know I, I completely agree on that, yeah, yes, but I think it got a very bad reputation within the within the belly dance community. A lot of people thought that it's the, the end of oriental belly dance, you know. Mm. This is the, the association that I'm talking about. I'm not, you know, of course Maharaganat does have a lot of, it has a lot of political messages. Maharaganat is the voice of the people of the working class, especially of the youth. It's a voice of a people that is, quietened by society or would rather not hear their stories and they have used music and art to express their frustrations of life and politics why are they taking the drugs why are they fucked off in life what is society everything that society has fouled for them they express that through music they are people they are There's something that most people do not want to know about. They'd rather not know that kids are taking drugs on the streets because, you, you know, to confront that, you have to confront what role you have to do in society that allows that there's wealth divides. Why are you in privilege and they're poor? You know, it's a, I believe that, you know, yes, it's also rejected because of things like that. Mahraganat is a real liberation. The reason I love to dance Mahraganat, and as you know, I talk about this in my workshop, is because Mahraganat is true liberalization of yourself through art. These kids are, mostly, most Mahraganat music comes from poor children making it on their computers themselves, like teenagers making it, or young 20s, just making music 
on their computers. And even though society in Egypt has wanted to suppress this style of music, it's become widestream. They make their own money online. They make their own money on YouTube videos. They become millionaires just from making their own music. And these are the poorest of our society. They're, it's like dancing a revolution. It's dancing a, a liberalization of your own voice. And what's more exciting and what is more artistic than having your voice heard through your art. Mm. I mean, that is total, to me, if you talk about the quality of art, to make a political message through music and to have it go viral through the world, country, and everybody to be listening to the voices of a silenced people, that is high art. And people think the Mahargana is one of the lowest art. Actually, if you think of it in that terms like that, is that not a higher form of art than writing a cute, romantic song to a nice tune that everybody's ear is okay about mm. or that is not offensive to anybody a love song yeah it's a beautiful love song yes it's beautiful music i'm not taking away from that but people think that that might be high and you've put a few exciting instruments in it that's high art yes i love all that kind of music but is that real like compared to art that has got a political message that has has pushed through barriers of suppression actually that is high art as well in a different way. Yeah, and it's a very different also, not common approach to see Mahraganat, what it is actually, mm-hmm. and all those songs, uh, um, not just to judge by the meaning, like, oh my God, how they're singing about that, but see the reason why this music appears, why they're singing. And I will mention one thing that you brought up in your workshop about Mahraganat, because you mentioned that there was a moment that Egyptian government asked YouTube to ban those songs. The Egyptian government wrote to YouTube and asked them to ban all Mahraganat songs being allowed on YouTube because Egyptians banned it from radio, they banned it from TV, they they tried to ban all... All live singers of Mahraganat music were banned from singing live. That is a suppression of free speech in a way. That is a suppression of people. People have got to realize that Egypt does not have very good human rights, uh, that the poor are underrepresented, that the poor are treated like secondhand citizens. Egyptians are cre- treated like secondhand citizens in their own country. And if you're poor, you're third, fourth, fifth hand citizen in your own country. They wrote to YouTube and asked for a whole genre of music to be banned. That is how much they're angry at kids making, because they make it so that recording companies are not allowed to employ uh, these people. Well, so they have control, but then they don't control YouTube and kids can just go put their videos on YouTube and go viral or recording studios can say, well, fine, you take us off the TV, you take us off the video. It doesn't matter. We have YouTube. We have YouTube now. So who cares? It's this. So this is how much it frustrates the government that they would write to YouTube. Of course, YouTube said no, because how can you, you can ban maybe bad language, you can ban sexism off YouTube, but you can't ban a whole genre of style of music. Like that's nuts. That's, but that's the, that's the, that's the power of Mahraganat that it's caused such a controversy. If you really think about it, that is crazy. What government is writing What other government in another country is writing to YouTube and saying, oh my God, our kids are so artistic, they're expressing themselves, we want to shut them up. Like, that's true revolution. 
That's yeah. true. The voice of the people is surely true. And what I love about Egyptian culture is that in times of need and worry and hardship, they turn to music and dance. Like people, I don't think, I mean, I don't know every culture, but dance and music is so ingrained in Egyptian culture in every single day life. Like I talked about how when I was a child, I didn't belly dance, but I had absorbed it all because every single second of your day in Egypt, you hear Omokasum, you hear music, you hear the tuk-tuk playing Mahraganat, you hear the cafe playing Omokasum, you hear the taxi driver listen to Abdul Halim Hafiz, you put the TV on, there's always black and white films. I don't, in England, I've never seen a black and white film on the TV ever. In Egypt, all the kids even till now know all the black and white films. They know all the modern films. They love cinema. They love cinema, old cinema, new cinema. They Every Ramadan, everybody's watching the TV to see what, you know, the story of the Ramadan series. Nine times out of ten, there's always one about a belly dancer. Mm-hmm. There, you know, there's the arts in Egyptian culture is ingrained within it. Music is everywhere. There's nowhere I know that has... Uh, music so ingrained in everything and dance so ingrained they dance for this they dance for that they dance at any opportunity dance is so ingrained in everything in their culture Uh, and that they and politics is also ingrained in their in their arts Mm. so yeah Uh, me and uh, my husband we traveled quite a few countries but one thing on this note that really impressed us in Egypt that usually you will play Egyptian music in places. Mm. Like if you go to another country and then in a taxi, it's American music. Mm. Uh, you go to a cafe, like ethnical or like some local cafe with local cuisine, and it's American music or some famous, yes. like not necessarily yeah, American, yeah. but like international. But it's yeah, like, yeah. Why? like they put on Beyonce. They yeah. put on Beyonce. And here it's not the case. No. The taxi drivers will play Egyptian music. I mean, sometimes they see foreigners and they may switch, yes, but yes. no, yes. for themselves, they will play Egyptian yes. music. You go to cafe, there will be mostly like, there was once, was, there's something unusual here. Oh yeah, they're playing uh, some Western songs. Yeah. And it was like unusual because most of the places yes. will play Egyptian music. And it's so amazing, it's so cool. Yes, yeah. and music is saying that until now, alhamdulillah, has not become gentrified or westernized in Egypt. Yeah. I know we can talk about Mahraganat for hours and hours, yes. and I will highly recommend everyone, whoever see announcement that Zara is teaching Mahraganat workshop, either live or online, definitely take it, because it was, uh, uh, I'm sure you have different variations, but the one I took, and it was just introduction, and it was so insightful, and you have quite an interesting lecture of presenting the history of Mahraganat because there is a whole series of confusions which I know we are not even getting into yeah. it because it's a huge topic but it was very interesting to hear like your lecture and how you break down like typical movements and where they come what's the meaning and it gives very different perspective of on Mahraganat and especially is common in belly dance community around the world like not as, as in Egypt so I highly recommend everyone like take a look and keep an eye like whenever you have opportunity just take it it was really worth and very interesting um, but I want to come back to your activities and your story yeah <laughs> um, so pivoting a little bit along with your shows and you mentioned you have a store yes, now yes. but you also have a magazine yes I have a belly dance how magazine. did that come to life (laughs) so when I was a little bit younger I started when I was at university I uh, my first university I dated this boy 
one of my first boyfriends and he was going to be a millionaire and he told me you know to be a millionaire you need to be an entrepreneur and open your own business and I just thought and I went to a very posh university my first university I went to Oxford University I was a very working class poor girl in England and I somehow managed to get into this best university in the world and there's all these rich poor rich people and I wanted to be rich you know I, I decided I realized how poor my family was I didn't know how poor I was because I'd never been outside my community and I wanted to copy this entrepreneur, so I made my belly dance shop. You know, this is when I'm only like 17, 18. Again, I just bring back little belts and sell them online. Anyway, the belly dance shop decided, grew and grew and grew. And me and my mum make it like a little side business. Like, and I swear, I'm just talking about bringing like a bag of belts back with me every time. Because I told you I'd go back to Egypt back and forth every year, twice a year. If I didn't go for a year, that's crazy. So I'd go like twice, three times a year and I just thought make a little bit of a side hustle inspired by this wanting to be rich kind of thing. Anyway, I made a business and then my mom and me made this business together because I told my mom, we're poor. Our whole generation has poor mentality. We need to make a business. We need to stop it with our generation because I believe things like this are just trained into you. Poverty is trained to an extent. Circumstances, yes, but we have circumstances and mental training in my family, my English family. My Egyptian family are shabby working class, but my English family are working class English people. Poverty is, is ingrained in us. I told my mum, no, we need to make this business. So we make this business and my mum, she really took this advice to heart. Like my mum has become like an entrepreneur. She, she runs the shop herself now. I'm really proud of her because we've broken the working class mentality that has been ingrained in all of my generations and she started looking at marketing and it said you should do an email to all your customers at that point we had like 10 customers anyway she's like we need to do marketing and then there was this marketing thing that said but you need to give them incentive to open the email you can't just sell them you need to give them something back to the the it was like i don't know something that she read in, I don't know, marketing for dummies book or something. I don't know. And my mum said, we have to do a newsletter, Zaro, for our customers and we need to make them, give them something back in the newsletter that they have information that they open the newsletter so we can advertise for yeah. the shop. And uh, if I'm honest now, if you look at Zamina, it's more information than any selling. We hardly sell anything from the magazine. We always advertise costumes, but we never sell. People just uh, subscribe for the information. But it just started as my mum read in a book, <laughs> marketing for dummies, um, that we should give something back when we email people to say, oh, we have new belts. We should give something back. And if I'm honest, it's become a massive project of giving back. It's a lot of giving back <laughs> to the customer. Now I have Handelet, nearly 3,000 subscribers. I have a big belly dance magazine. It's become its own identity. It almost has nothing to do with the belly dance shop. Most people that are subscribed are not our shop uh, customers. They're not even in our country for us to sell costumes to. But it has become a big, its own identity. And from writing like what would just start out as Oh, we're going to give you a little bit of information about Egyptian culture. Here's a few belly dance tips and here's our costumes to being interviews and and music corner and everything that it is now. If you read Azamina, if you know, please subscribe. It's a proper belly dance magazine. And I have to say, out of all my achievements in my life, I'm really proud of Zamina. It's, it's actually, I'm not an arrogant person. I think you can 
I think you might have realized that I'm a very humble person, you know, but I have to say, I think Zamina is one of the best belly dance resources out there. It's free. It has loads of information. It has amazing interviews. It has a music corner every month that gives you all the, which I kill myself writing, gives you all updates about everything in the music industry in Egypt, all the stories behind the songs, what songs are newly released. It has information, links, everything. It really is a, a my gift to the community every month. It takes a lot of, actually me and my mum can kick them out because we've had nearly 150 issues now. It's like 139, we're coming up to 150 issues. So if you think I, I publish it every month, it's been going for years now. Mm -hmm. Like since I was 17, I'm now nearly 36, nearly 20 years of writing this. I wish, I feel it should be more than 3,000 subscribers. I feel it should be 20,000. It should be going further. I wish it was even bigger. Uh, but I have to say, I don't usually, uh, I'm not usually very arrogant, but or blow my own trumpet, but people should definitely, Zamina is something very special. Yes, absolutely, definitely. So where can they find more about this magazine? And get you can it? go on my page. If you go to Zara's Zook website, you can scroll down. There is a subscription to Zamina. Um, it doesn't really have its own website, but if you look for Zamina Belly, actually, if you do search Zamina Belly Dance Magazine, you'll find a little website, but the web address is like a free web address. So you, I can't give you the web address, but if you go to Google and you write Zamina, uh, Z-A-M-E-E-N-A, -E -E Zamina Magazine, Belly Dance Magazine, you'll find it and you can find a subscription. It's totally free. It comes once a month. We never share your email address with anybody. Um, and it's a free magazine. As I said, there's always an interview or an informative article. There's always Music Corner, which gives you updates on Cairo music, new music from Egypt. If you're ever looking for new artists, new music, it's always giving you an update. There's always an Information Corner, which gives like a bonus mag a bonus um, information. And then whatever else gets put in there, there's always loads of other stuff. Do people have to be in UK or Egypt no. or is it online? It's online. It's free. It's totally free. It just gets emailed to you once a month. And it's always got an unsubscribe button. So if you ever get sick of me giving you belly dance advice, you can unsubscribe at any time. Totally free. It's a great resource. I think it's an amazing resource. And if you look up Zamina Belly Dance Magazine on Google, you'll find the archives of over 100 magazines. You can read. There's so much information in all of them. We've had interviews with Khalid Mahmoud, Rakia Hassan, Dan Dash, um, uh, Sahar Okesha, Sahar Samara, uh, Muhammad Shaheen, um, uh, famous uh, Asala, the Iraqi dancer. We had Esra, the Moroccan dancer, Nawara, Moroccan dancer. We've had Sherezad. We've had um, other famous, loads of famous dancers. We've had interviews with hundreds and hundreds of famous dancers. Farah Haraf from Dubai, very famous dancer in Dubai. We've we, uh, Cassandra Fox from Canada. She's written, uh, she was a resident writer. Like the names of all the famous people that we've had write or have interviews in Zamina is just like, pfft. even I can't. It's even bigger than myself. It's, it's, it's an amazing resource. And the things that you can learn about how these dancers' stories, like if you read the story of both Saha Okasha, she's a costume designer, and Saha Samara, 
these Egyptian women's stories, if you read the stories of their career, it's mind-blowing. And that's, that's all there in the archives. You can find 130, 40 episodes to read through. Wow, that's quite a resource. And I'll definitely also include a link to your website in the show notes. Thank you. Uh, before we slowly summarize, yeah. <laughs> I have still kind of a few questions. I would love to ask you, like now with all that crazy journey and all these different stages in your dance career in dance story in general not on the career but how do you see development of your dance adventures for the next let's say five years how do you see yourself oh my god dance? that's a very good question and i i have never had a plan for my career ever I don't even think I have a plan for my, like I told you, everything has just been set out. I never planned to be an Egyptian belly dancer. I never planned to, even when I started dancing in Egypt, to stay more than a week or a few months doing a few gigs. I have never planned to end up living in Egypt. Like, I don't know. I, I really have never made any plan. I am trying to concentrate a lot more on Right now, I am trying to get my name out. I'm not going to lie. I've joined a few festivals. I've never been in the festivals ever in my life before. The first, I've never worked in festivals or gone to festival dancing or anything like that. I'm not. <laughs> I've tried to get myself in a few festivals because, of course, I'm getting a little bit older. I think bay dancers can dance for a very long time. Don't get yeah. me wrong. I plan to dance as much as possible. I, I'm married. I would like to maybe start a family. So. So I do think I'll be dancing professionally less, not just because of age, but because I want to start family and stuff like this. I don't know whether it happened. That's in the hands of God. Who knows? But so I would, I am not going to lie. I'm trying to get my name known a bit internationally. I don't think many people know my story. I don't think many people know how famous I've been in Egypt or how much I've worked in oh, Egypt yeah. or how known I am in Egypt or how experienced I am and how actually gone from being very naive to very knowledgeable about belly dance so i'm trying to get my name out there more internationally because i would like a bit more i a bit more uh, teaching work traveling and teaching work because it's something that i could probably fit around a life when in the future so i'm not gonna lie i'm trying to i've done all this work now i need to tell people look i've done all this i'm a more experienced dancer it's very hard for me because i don't like showing videos of myself dancing i don't like I hate doing this. I've never had to do it. At the beginning when I was a bay dancer, there was no cameras in clubs anyway. And now it's this. And when social media first started, I had lots of backlash because of my family. So I never really invested in it that much. And so now I've had to do this like flip and I have to get myself out there. I have to put videos. I hate doing all this stuff. I find it very cringy. It's not me. It's definitely, I'm not a social media dancer. I cringe at this. I don't care if you hate it or if you're not a social media yes. person. You don't have rights to hide from people what you have to share. No. Thank you, Anna. I need to hear this. Horrible for me to hear. I hate you telling me this. <laughs> like I want to, you know. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, I hate you. But it's true. It's true. It's true. And I'm trying to get over that barrier. And you have things to share. Yes. You do. I agree. I agree. But it's, you know, it, I'm not used to that. You know, I'm not used to that. I wish, you know, if you look at Zamina, I'm very, very, very good. And when I did online, I did a lot of Hafler's, online Zoom Hafler's during COVID. I'm very good at promoting other people. I'm not as good at promoting myself as a dancer. I'm very good at promoting other people as dancers or promoting things that I work as. So my company or my magazine, Meshia, I can promote that all the time. But to promote Zara, dancer, I find that very difficult. 
But I have to get over that, you know, it's at least self-awareness is the first step. But I'm trying to do that because I would like some more teaching opportunities because, you know, that's that's something that I hope to fall back on because, you know, I've been a bay dancer now. I haven't ever danced, worked properly in any other ways from the moment I u- left university. Uh, this is all I've done full time since I was left university. The only, And whilst I was at university, this is what I was working as. So I haven't ever had a, let's put it inverted commas. I, I, like, I don't like to say proper job because this is a proper job, but what people would call a proper mm-hmm. job. This is my proper job. And, you know, so I need I need to continue my belly dance. So I do have concerns about the next five years. Mm-hmm. Plus, I'm just hoping to put down foundations now for a more longevity of my career. Because I think any belly dancer must fear this. Any full-time belly dancer must fear what she's going to do in her 40s, 50s, yeah, 60s. Well, I definitely wish you good luck with that and I wish good luck to our Belladons community that it gets picked up because it will be a really good addition. Uh, you have a very different perspectives on many things from what I feel, at least from my experience of seeing how usually people see things, share things, topics that are taught and how they're taught. You definitely have a lot to contribute and it would be a great addition to what we have currently in the dance community. And I do know that you have some upcoming projects already. So share please with people where they can find you around the world, not only in case they come into Egypt. <laughs> well, of course, if you do come to Egypt, you can always contact me. I have a little baby studio in my house. You can come take private classes or I can organize a studio if you've got a group. So if you do come to Egypt, yes. I have online resources. You can go to my website, zarazook.com and you can buy my online workshops. Only a few. They're ones that I recorded in COVID. And then I am traveling. Uh, This year I will be in Toronto. Oh my God, first time in Canada. And Yana, I'm so honored that you've given me You've helped me advertise that a bit because I know you come from Canada um, or been in Canada, based in Canada. So Toronto, I'll be there at the end of September. Aslyrax.com if you want to go and book them. So you can go and book that. I'm really excited. I'm going to be doing five workshops. Tarab, Mahragana, Majansei. I've talked about a few of this. I've actually talked about all three of those topics. Tarab, Majansei, how to make an entrance. I hope you realize I've got a lot of experience on that now. Um, and Mahargana, uh, I hope you realize that, and uh, something that I love a lot, Saidi. And then there'll also be, she wants me to do a bit like this, a story of my life, which I also hope you realize is a lot of learning from that as well. So, yeah, a little shout out to Asli. Yeah, <laughs> Good Asli, for yeah, her to, to bring it and organize, and I envy Canadian dancers now for oh, having this opportunity so to do the full full weekend or full three days, I assume. Three days, yeah, it's yeah. going to be intense, and there's going to be a Hafla, and they've got so many amazing people coming to Hafla. I'm excited to go to the Hafla. I'm like, oh my God, Cassandra. So, I told you I have friends in my magazine, Cassandra Fox, she's coming because we're very good friends from writing Zamina together. She's, So Superstar of Canada is coming, Superstar of the World is coming to dance at my Hafla and learn from me. I'm so excited. Then we also have ma- massive stars like Pierre, who I met at festivals. Um, we also have uh, Melissa Gamel, big dancer in um, Canada. And of course, Marta, who I met when we was together at the um, Cleopatra Festival. So I feel honored that I've met these people who are big superstars, absolutely amazing dancers, and they are humble enough to come and learn, because I believe we can all learn from each other. I believe those people could teach me. 
as well. But I believe that I can teach them as well. And I love that, that nice, I think it's a really good representation of Bay Dance community coming together and nobody being arrogant. My cat, this is Fifi, if you can hear her meowing. <laughs> she <Fifi>. agrees. <laughs> she's a proper Fifi Abdul. She thinks she's a, the star of the show. Go away, Fifi. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so that's in Toronto. And then I have my own, I am very blessed. Two years ago, a festival that I used to go to and teach at in England nearly every year. They love me. They, uh, the lady who organized it retired and she gifted me a whole festival. So I own and co-run with a very good friend of mine, Anna, who I did online hafflers with. Uh, in COVID. We now co-own a festival in England. So I have my own festival called Celebrating Dance Festival, but it's an inherited carrying on the beauty of this beautiful festival. So you can come, I'll be dancing there. Khalid Mahmoud, I've invited him as my guest. We also have Khadija coming from America. So I have my own festival in England, uh, not in London, in uh, Torquay, uh, which is an amazing little cute community festival that I love with my heart and I feel honored that I've inherited. And then next year I'll be in June in California again for the third year running. I'm so honored they've invited me three years in a row, which I like to think is because I'm a good teacher. Hint, hint, come to my classes. Uh, three years in a row, I'll be at uh, Cairo Shimmy Quake in California in June. So please come. That's what I have booked for the foreseeable future. I will also be doing um, Arak's lecture course as well mm. so that's in october as well so there's there that you can find all this information on my instagram on my facebook if you follow me at zara.dance on instagram i usually put loads of posters up for everything i'm doing well excited for your journeys and for for your trips for your journey and for like hopefully new chapter full chapter yes, and Jonah, full of different pages in who terms knows? of international events and lucky dancers who will attend that uh, all those Thank events you. in person i will definitely add links to your social media and your website to the show notes of the website so it's easily accessible Thank one you. click and all information is available there And before I ask you our final question of the podcast, I want to thank you for your time. Yeah. Uh, I know you have a very busy schedule and uh, uh, you have this crazy nights busy with uh, shows before yesterday. You will have in a few hours, we'll start need to get ready for the upcoming in the evening and you still find time to do this conversation and you were so open and so willing to share uh, behind the scenes and uh, so brave to just thank you just say those things that you were sharing because many people would try you know maybe not to highlight or maybe to uh, make it more glamour stories like you know how <laughs> in validance community we sometimes like like to think oh yes. we need to make this persona but uh we don't realize often how much it disconnects and i'm sure there are a lot of people who are listening right now who really needed to hear it at least to feel that they are not alone in whichever like li you know little subject and little struggle or maybe big struggle but whatever was relatable to them so thank you so much for being open and sharing it and you are such a brave woman such a smart beautiful and amazing dancer and i really wish you uh good luck with your career and also wish you 
how to say exactly what, what I mean, like, I wish you to find that inner peace and inner confidence oh, to shine yes. even brighter. Me too. <laughs> but I want to say thank you for giving me this opportunity. I really appreciate the platform. And you're going to make me cry, Emma. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. One more question and then yes. you can start crying. So at the end, I always ask last question, which is traditional question. I ask yes. every single person, regardless of what we talked about. With you, we somehow briefly mentioned this topic, but I'm excited to hear your answer. So our last question is, what makes you fall in love with ballet dance again and again so you keep doing it for so many years? To me, it's the stage. It's the actual performance. My favorite thing about belly dance is the stage. I told you, when I walk on the stage, I leave all that rubbish behind. You know, you talk about, oh, you want to find your inner confidence and shine bright. But when I go on the stage and I'm in that element, I feel like I am truly alive. You know, I love the movement. I love the music. I love all that. But, you know, some people love the technique of it, love to... No, to me, it's the performance. Mm. The performance, I feel like I'm in the moment. I feel like I'm really expressing myself. And to me, I am addicted to the performance. Mm. I, I love, I feel like it liberates me. Oh. And yeah, that's, that's me. It's that when I, talk, well, when I talk about leaving all that crap behind, leaving all that insecurity, I really feel once I'm on the stage, I'm in the moment. When I get in that moment, when you're all together, the music, the thing, that, that it's like a drug. Mm. It's a very addictive drug. And I genuinely believe, like you said, you don't think I'm very confident, but you would never know that from the stage. That's that I feel I truly become myself when I get on stage. Mm. So it's it's that that is uh, that is me. And if you ever see me perform, uh, I, I love to share the love of my dance. I love to share the love of the music. And I hope that comes across. And I love to share that with the whole audience. And I hope that comes across and people realize how much I'm enjoying myself. I really do enjoy myself on stage. Mm. I'm like a stage addict. I love to perform. I absolutely love to perform. It's, it's, it's where I feel I'm mostly me. This is me. I remember when I first met my husband, you know, there were, there's always this hinting of, of, you know, would you ever belly, not stop belly dancing? You know, uh, men will always hint this in their dates. And I always say, make sure from the first date they know that this is not even a possibility to give up belly dance. You know, there's not even, I don't even give them an inch Anybody that you ever date, never give them even the inkling that they could question your belly dance. And I say this, I tell this to anybody, if you, this is who Zara is, this is me. Like, I don't mean to talk in third person, like I'm arrogant, but this is, you cannot part it because when I'm on stage, that is who I truly am. That is me. I feel alive, most alive on stage. Mm. Yes. It's a beautiful way to summarize. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, this has been an amazing interview. I really enjoyed it more than I ever thought I could. So <laughs> thank you, Anna. You're a very easy person to talk to. Oh, I'm happy to hear. Well, looking forward for part number two at some point. Yes, anytime. <laughs> Come get updates. <laughs> thank you, Anna. My pleasure. Um, thank you. been an honor. Mwah. This episode was brought to you by the Yana Dance Club, bringing more consistency and more fun into your dance training online. 
Check it out at yanadanceclub.com, direct link in the show notes. And before you leave, don't forget to screenshot this episode and share it with your friends, as well as leave a review on iTunes or any other app you're using to listen to the show. The more people know about this podcast, the easier it is for me to bring even more awesome guests. Until next time, keep shimmering and keep dancing.